Hey, it's Heidi Dawson, and this is Wednesday Wisdom, where I interview wildly successful people from across the world, where we get an inside view into what their daily life looks like. Success leaves clues, and on Wednesdays, we're finding them. Join me now for the latest wildly successful interview. Hi guys, welcome to episode 116 of the Wildly Successful Lifestyle Podcast. I really enjoyed this next interview with Monica Roseberry. We recorded a few weeks ago and I have to say, (laughs) I have already benefited from so many of the things that we talked about and I think you will too. Monica is an author, a speaker, and a coach and she specializes in sports stress and pressure performances. I think we can all uh, relate to that. She also has a Master of Arts in Kinesiology and is an award-winning teacher teacher. She is a popular speaker at spa and massage conferences, but she's so passionate about her life work and it really shows. So if you're one of the many people that has a phobia, I don't know, maybe you're worried about the vaccine needle or maybe you just feel the pressure to be perfect or make no mistakes when others are watching. Well, she most certainly can help you as well. So listen in as I talk to Monica. Hi, Monica. It is so nice to see you again. How are you? I'm doing great, Heidi. It's so great to be here with you and to get to be a part of this podcast and to be able to reach the amazing people that listen to you. So thank you for inviting me today to well, thank you. talk with I'm, you. I'm excited about our, our topic and the things that, that you have done and do. And, and so I'm just super excited about talking about what we're going to talk about today, but so that the listeners kind of know like who you are and what you do, tell us a little bit about that. It's always an interesting question to be asked, who are you? It's a little odd because when I was a child, I died during a surgery. Oh, wow. And what I discovered is that who I am is a little bit different than all the ways that I normally would define myself. So I recognized over time that the who I am is kind of the interesting intro part of where my work comes from. So if you want to hear that part, I'm happy to tell you that part of who I am. Well, yeah. <laughs> yes. It's a little different. Um, what I got was when I had my near-death experience, it's something that I've studied a lot as well, is, is that who I am as a, basically an eternal soul. And when you go to the bright light of love, is is that I have what I call the five laws. Who I am is I am loved and lovable. I'm accepted and acceptable. I am wanted and I am worthy and I am safe. And that's my real eternal self. Now, who the rest of me is, is basically this eternal soul in what I call the monkey suit. Uh, down here on planet earth, trying to survive, trying to deal with pain, trying to deal with loss and death and survival. And seems to be a lot of what my work is about is basically how do I, how do I recognize my true self from that near death experience and integrate being in the monkey suit that has an immense amount of fears. And how do I enjoy being on what I call boot camp earth? Um, and how do I learn to love and live and travel and have a great time? Because it's an amazing planet. So, wow, that is a lot of who I am and why I do what I do. I love that though, because I kind of have goosebumps because you probably just defined every single person listening. (laughs) 
right? We have yes, self- yes it every is every yes. single one of us. We have fears. We have, you know, these this anxiety, and we are you know, searching for happiness. We're always wanting to just live and get the most we can out of this beautiful world. And I, I love to, yes. um, you said eternal love, you're lovable, worthy, acceptable. What was the last one? And safe. So I call it the safe. five laws. It spells out. Yeah. Yeah. Is that we're loved and lovable. We are accepted and acceptable. When people describe the near-death experience, when they basically go to that bright light of love and the peace and the joy and the welcome home. And it's like, oh, wow, that's me. I'm loved like that. It's like, yes, you're loved like that. And I'm accepted as I am. And I'm acceptable as I am. And I'm worthy. I was created and I'm worthy like this with me, really. And I'm wanted. Yes, I'm wanted. One of the biggest human fears is that we're not wanted. We believe we're not wanted. And then, and then safe. It's like, yeah, once we're back in the, the, the soul uh, out of the body, we're, we realize how safe we are. And it's when we're in the body that we feel unsafe most of the time. And so, you know, how do we protect ourselves? How do we have enough to eat? How do we keep a roof over our head? How do we not, you know, it's like we're inherently, it seems to be boot camp earth is about experiencing not being safe and having the fears that keep us safe. And then also having to have, you know, getting to balance out with, you know, what is the point of this play? Like, why am I here? Um, it seems to be this combo of being in the monkey suit that is inherently unsafe, but yet is, in, is capable of these emotions and deep love and deep connection. And yet that also has a lot of fear too. You know, yeah. our hearts can be broken. You know, so that seems to be the point of being here is sort of my experience. So when you ask, who are you? <laughs> oh, that's, 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 a load, that's a loaded question. So you're talking the mon- monkey suit is our body, right? Yes, yes. Okay, got it. And it's phenomenal. The human yes. body is phenomenal. My background is in massage therapy and energy therapies. I taught anatomy for years. I am stunned at the elegance of the body and its resilience. And yet I also get its fragility. You know, right. it's right. a it's a fascinating experience to be in a body, to get how it works, to get why it's designed the way it is. I mean, just to look at the design of a knee. It's like, dang, that's brilliant. You know, I mean, when right. you just see the structuralness it's, it's amazing. So I have this gratitude and respect for the body, but I also get, it's got some, some instincts and drawbacks that uh, we have to deal with. Well, instincts that our um, ancestors needed to survive that we probably yes. don't need so much anymore, but we still, it still kicks in because it's hard, hardwired into our right. brain, right? Um, okay. So with, yes, all it is. That, with all of that being said, um, we do live here on earth, uh, the boot camp earth that yes. you're calling it. And I'm sure we'll find out why that is, yep. but do you have, so do you have a, like a daily practice that supports your mindful, your, your mindset and your wellness that helps you just kind of navigate boot camp earth? Yes, I do. I actually have a few of them. Um, they're, and they're, they're not the normal. I don't meditate. I'm, I just, you know, I've been in the massage industry since I was 22 and I'm, I'm 
much older now. And, uh, you know, I just kind of, I don't do a lot of the normal practices, but I do go outside and take pictures of clouds. And I go and look at birds because when I was 28, I started having heart arrhythmias due to stress. And I found that bird watching made me feel like uh, insignificant enough that I wasn't so important that I didn't need to be that stressed. So I take pictures of nature and I go pet the neighbor's dogs. I'm, I'm widowed. And so I'm live by myself. And so, um, people come by with their dogs. I live on a corner and I pet all the neighbor's dogs and they all pull their owners toward me and that engages in conversation. So it's like, again, these weird little practices that I actually consciously engage in. I take pictures of the sunset and the sunrise and it puts perspective on my life. Uh, I write a lot of poetry as sort of my own form of introspection to understand uh, what I'm thinking. And, uh, and I grew up in the Philippines. My parents were Baptist missionaries there. And there is a, a practice that I have of sweeping. <laughs> but if you ever go to the Philippines, you will see a lot of people outside sweeping. And, you know, when I was prepping for talking with you, I swept the whole yard and the whole front and the whole house. And it's like this very strange practice of how I just sort of empty my mind and I'm just happy sweeping. That's incredible. I, I had another <laughs> um, interview that said the same thing. They were talking about sweeping and, and part of it is that, no. <laughs> yes, and you're kind of, it's like you're cleansing your your space, which cleanses your mind, which yes. opens it up and makes it, I, I love, I think that's a great, I, I love that. Um, it, it's very satisfying, yeah. and very fulfilling. And when you're in that space, I think it opens your mind to, to more, more things. So, yes. Okay. Absolutely. All right. so, yes. That's a lot of ideas. I love that. All right. Now we, you kind of <laughs> deal in and we talk, we, we want to talk about some of these phobias and things that are going on. Um, I, in doing research for talking to you, I read a John Hopkins study that said about 18% of people have an anxiety disorder of some sort and included in that is phobias. Mm-hmm. Now, I feel like, and you can correct me, I feel like COVID has made that worse. Have you, have you seen that? Way worse. Yeah. Yes. The, the ways we normally deal with our anxieties and our fears is through numbing, through distraction, um, through you know, other forms of, of just like avoidance. And with COVID, we have none of those available. Right. Alcoholism is way up, you know, right. like whatever, whatever tools we have to distract ourselves, to go, you know, whatever. We are basically being forced to be still and inside ourselves. I feel like COVID is actually a very important um, experience for the planet where we are right now, where people are really having to be forced to look at their values, what matters, who's important, what's important, what's not important anymore, and and facing some of our own choices and some of our own um, lives uh, that we've kind of just been bouncing along uh, not paying much attention, we're having to pay attention. That's right. So I'm on the phone. I'm on the phone twelve hours a day talking with people who are like, "This was fine until COVID," and now I realize it's like I had to make some choices. I I'm being forced to make choices. I'm being forced to look at my life. I'm being forced to deal with my family, with my partner, with whatever. And 
anxiety is absolutely on the rise and a lot of shifting and changing and growing is coming with it. Like we've almost been forced into some, yeah, some kind of rock bottom. I mean, the kind of clients that I work with, I like them to be highly motivated, desperate, have tried everything else, have tons of insight and nothing has changed. And basically COVID is doing that for a lot of people. They are desperate. Nothing has changed. Nothing is working. Um, and they want to, you know, they're tired of the mediocre life and they want something different. Absolutely. Uh, and I, I would think that, you know, my podcast called Wildly Successful Lifestyle, um, people that listen to it, they are looking for that as well. You know, they want, it's all about- yes making us the best version that we are. And that doesn't look the same for everyone. It's totally different for everyone. Um, just yes. so, so you, um, we, when we're talking about phobias, I think that there's a difference obviously between a normal fear and a phobia, but how do you know the difference between, you know, if a client comes to you with just a healthy fear or you, how do you recognize the difference between phobia and normal fear? So my definition of a phobia is pretty simplistic. It's not a medical definition. It's basically the fear, the conscious logic hasn't changed. Okay. So a lot of people want to work with fears by saying, make them conscious. Okay. Or then try to logic your way out of them. <laughs> That's tough. Logic so a healthy, yeah, I mean, yeah. So, so a healthy fear can often be managed with logic and action. Okay. It's like, I'm, I'm afraid of being hit by a drunk driver. Therefore, you know, and it's, I can take mitigating action. I can be wise in my choices. I cannot drive at two in the morning. You know, there are things that I do that is a healthy fear that there is absolute risk to my heart, to my body, to my mind, to whatever. Right. And I can take logical action that can mitigate the risk of that fear. Okay. That's, that's, that's very, that's a good answer to the difference between the two. Because, yeah. Um, phobias yeah. to me, a lot of times aren't even logical, you know? So, but you've been specifically working on a needle phobia because of the vaccine. And, you know, so many people yes. are terrified of needles. Talk, talk a little bit about that. So the, the, and needle phobias are a little different than any other kind of phobia that I've worked with. So the, the um, research that's been out there is, is that 20 to 23% of adults have some form of needle phobia to the wow. point that they will not get medical attention. It's actually very high. I got this off of needlephobia.com and other stuff that I've worked on. Um, looked at is that it's actually quite high. And there are a lot of people who will literally die because they're so afraid, not just of the needle, but of their reaction to it. So there has been a lot of what makes this different than any other forms of phobia work, which, you know, I love phobia work. It's so fun. It's so fast. It's so easy. Give me a glass of Chardonnay at a party and we can take care of, you know, this, a spider or a moth or something like that. It's like, <laughs> it's just, it's easy. You know, it's a, you know, give wow. me a half hour That's interesting. Of, uh, you know, yeah, it's a, yeah. So, so needle phobias are, are actually quite different because some of them are genetic and physical and, uh, and, and the risk, there's a high risk in working with needle phobias because some people have what they call the vasovagal reflex reaction and they pass out. 
And some people actually even have, um, 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 you know, different kinds of reactions. And so they're afraid of the reaction to the needle itself. So taking this on and trying to do it at the scale that I want to do it uh, with videos and whatnot is a little risky, but I, it's, it's, it needs to be, someone needs to do yeah. work different than what I've seen anybody else doing. Yeah. Well, I mean, for me, I, I don't have like a phobia of needles, but I have found that I get very stressed when I know that I'm going to the doctor, say I get poison ivy. Okay. I know when I go to the doctor, yeah. that if they give me a cortisone, I mean, the cortisone shot hurts, but it doesn't hurt as bad yes. as what I think in my mind that it does. You know, I'm like just dreading it. Like, I'll be sweating. And, and then they give me the shot and I'm like, oh my gosh, that was nothing. You know, so there is some of that too, I'm sure. Absolutely. And that actually is an interesting thing because that's part of the, this is why, again, this is different than other phobias, but that's part of the monkey suit is, is that the fear of the pain and the vasovagal uh, reaction, you know, the blood pressure goes way up from the stress and then the blood pressure drops and then the blood leaves the brain and people pass out. So, you know, it's a very different, you know, for we just, there's, there is an inherited genetic DNA driven, whatever, uh, natural fear of having sharp things shoved in our skin. Wow. So yeah. I mean, imagine than, that. You know, imagine yeah. that. The reactions are different. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So, so then, so your work on that, like, are you, you're going to create videos and things like that? Is that what you were saying that you're working on or how, how do you treat people over yes. virtually like that? That I am, I am trying to figure out because I work with people one-on-one -on -one with needle phobias and some of them have been, you know, it's very simple. I work with first with an in, which image in their mind. This is kind of like exposure therapy while I use a protocol that I, that, that I have. So the premise that I work with when I deal with phobias is if I can help a person's body relax while they're exposed to whatever the trigger is, uh, it seems to flip the phobia like that. Ah, uh, okay. So, so you're changing their patterns, right? So, so, so yes. So if I can get the physical body to relax while they're thinking about what they're afraid of, that, that is, is usually enough to flip the phobia. That is so interesting to me because you're, you basically, yeah. that's very, I mean, I can, I already can think about that and think, oh, okay, that would work because you automatically, yes. you know, it could be a lifelong um, reaction by your body of fear. Yes. And then if you just change the pattern, all of a sudden you're like, oh, well, it's not so bad. So I, I yeah, I can see where that would work. <laughs> It's like, it seems to be a, a reset and, um, and it's, and it sticks. I mean, I've had a, a quick story. I had a woman I worked with, with the driving phobia. She had a freeway phobia basically. And it took a while um, to figure out sort of the source. There had been what I call instant onset. Something had happened while she was driving and then her eyes got weird and then she got really afraid. But there were other things that were sort of more emotional uh, that were behind some of the fears. And, we worked on those those beliefs that were there because sometimes there's some core beliefs that I want to see that are holding the phobia in place because trying to change a phobia like that, sometimes there's a price to pay for changing it. 
And so I went to, this is the question that I asked the subconscious logic, because I work with, so to me, everything is logical, whether to the conscious mind is one kind of logic, the subconscious is a different kind of logic. And so to ask the subconscious, what is the price you will pay for letting go of this phobia? She thought about it for a while. And she said, you know, if I start driving on freeways, I'm going to have basically a meaningless, soulless existence. I'm going to have a job just like my dad does, driving uh -huh. around selling like death of a salesman. And my, I'm going to have a meaningless life if I can drive on the freeway. Oh, my. So I had to not only deal with the incident onset, but I had to deal with the real fear that was underneath it, which is that my life will be soulless and meaningless. If once I'm driving on freeways, I have no excuse for not getting a quote, real job. Wow. So we had to integrate that into the phobia work because that was a different sort of level of what's the price to pay. Here's what's so interesting. She was working on driving on the freeway. I gave her a technique I'll talk with you later about, but um, she was driving at two in the morning, coming home from her work. She works at a radio station, found meaningful work and uh, um, a deer, ran across the freeway and jumped into the driver's side window while she was driving, broke her window and she drove home, you know, whatever, got her mom, went back to see if the deer was okay. Uh, and it's like, and her phobia didn't come back. That's how, that was basically, it took two, two sessions with her, one to clear the meaning and the other just to do the technique so that she could calm herself while she was exposed to the trigger. Wow. Yeah, you know, it's- yeah. It usually, I can see it where it usually is something that's deep seated, um, you know, from, from childhood, you know, where you just, you have created it. So such this monster in your mind that you have to, someone like you needs to come in and decide you got to go way back to figure that out though. Sometimes <laughs> I would think that's incredible. So oftentimes, yeah. are you concerned at all that, you know, like right now, um, I think we're creating a phobia of each other. Uh, when we go back to wearing masks, are you concerned yeah. that people will be afraid of each other? And, you know, I'll tell you from my point of view, I, I feel like I'm pretty social and I'm not very wary. Um, we travel still. And I notice myself sometimes lately wondering, am I too close to that person? You know, am I in their space or I'll back up if a yes. person I don't know gets into my space. And I don't like that feeling at all. Do you think we're creating a problem here? It's going to be immense. And the price is going to be so high emotionally, physically, psychologically. I, so my background is in massage therapy. And part of why I got into massage therapy is, is because growing up in the Philippines, um, everybody held hands. You sit close to your friends. We had very small bubbles. And then when I moved to America, when I was 15, people kept backing up. Like, why are you so close to me? And I'm like, what's wrong? And I realized that the Americans have very big bubbles already. They do. Absolutely. Now, and what, so when I used to speak at massage conferences, I trained more than 4,000 students. And I would tell them at the beginning, here's my commitment. My commitment is to changing the culture of touch in America. We have a very weird relationship to touch in this country, and it's causing so many psychological, emotional, physical problems. We don't even associate to the lack of touch. Absolutely. Now we're going to add this social distancing, all these kids committing suicide, all this stuff going on. You know, we don't, where is the, where is touch being talked about in 
this realm. So not only are our bubbles going to be bigger, but we're going to be afraid of each other. We're going to be afraid of our germs and, and basically close distance and touch down equals death or risk of death. I, so, uh, you know, if, if you're close to you, I might die. So we're going to, so I'm actually kind of excited in some ways because the trauma that we're experiencing will be language by enough people. I'm hoping that the, the conscious choice to stand close, to actually touch, to hug more, to integrate touch back into our lives because we've had such this horrible experiment of what the cost of not having touch and close proximity means is, is that we will consciously choose to be more close and to touch more. That's what I'm hoping. I, I, I am hoping that too. You know, I notice myself, you know, when I, I'm a hugger. Okay. So I love, I'm a hugger. Yes. I see you and we're friends or even yes. if we aren't friends and we just, I'll hug you. And so I've noticed yes. that now I'm kind of like, I'll go, I'm like, oh, um, I don't know if they were, are they yes. going to reject my hug? You know, I don't know. That's, it's just yes. so interesting to me because it may, and I don't like it. <laughs> I don't we like have it. hug hesitance. Yes. Yeah. Yes. A hug can be lethal. And, and, yeah. uh, you know, I saw, I saw my sister the other day, we met out of doors and, uh, she goes, you got for a hug. I'm like, yes, yes, absolutely. You know, yes, please. But that's because I know the science, you know, science says that this is not a, a virus that passes, you know, basically through tangible surfaces that's airborne. So, so it's, it's going to take some re-education and I hope that we're conscious about it. Okay, good. Well, I think what you're, you're working on and, and some people like you are the, are the ones that are going to have to create things like that because yes. our kids, the young kids are being programmed in that way. And I, I see them with Correct. a little mask that, you know, three years old. And I'm like, yep. in my mind, I'm thinking, what in the world are we, <laughs> <laughs> you know? This, this, this is going to take some real undoing and, and you're very correct because most of our, our like beliefs, core beliefs get created ages zero to seven, and then they kind of disappear as the brain changes at about age seven going forward. And that's, you know, that's where a lot of my work goes is how do you change a core belief that you started with zero to seven right. that's now basically out of conscious, you know, it's out of conscious reach. And that's why I work with phobias is because it's not conscious. It's not left brain. You can't get that. You can't make much change consciously. So this is where it feels like the work that I'm doing. How do you use the body as you help change the brain is you're going to have to use the body to change those core beliefs. You have to. For those you're kids going up now. Yeah. Controlling like your thoughts. You you're talking about your, your thoughts and all of that. That's, that's a lot of what seems to be like not panicking in dire situations, you know? So, so when you have really your thoughts are what create the panic, I think, right? I mean, how do you help people that have panic attacks? I, I know for me, I'll give you an example with, with me. I was scuba diving yeah. um, in the last couple of years oh, wow. and yeah. we were going through a cave and my BCD vest got caught on a cave wall. Um, now my mind yeah. immediately <laughs> wanted to panic. I was like, oh my gosh, you know, this, this could be uh, really bad, yes. but I know the cost, yes. <laughs> you cannot panic 60 feet below water. And so I just no. thought about it and I was like, okay, 
there's a, you know, there's something I can do here. I have a person, you know, uh, 10 feet in front of me. And then there's a person, my husband was 10 feet behind me. And so I knew logically that there I could, I was, I could be safe. And, and then I just realized, oh, all I have to do is just back up a little bit and go back forward. And I, I got myself loose, but had I panicked, I could have torn the BCD vest. I could have rushed to the top, you know, so how do you help people that have panic attacks? There, so to answer a short answer, I help them use the body to change the brain. So what happens so a lot of the clients that I worked with initially was kind of athletes in the mental game who choked under pressure. I work with people who blank on tests. I work with people who basically they lose their thought when they're giving a public speech. And the same premise is there with panic attacks is, is that when we go into a stress response, a fight, fight or freeze, the blood flow goes from the prefrontal cortex kind of right behind our forehead and it leaves that area and it goes back to the the base of the brain to give us what we need to do to get, whether we're fight, fight or freeze, to do those actions. So my work says, how do I relax the body as quickly as possible, shift from the, you know, the nervous system back to the parasympathetic, where the blood flow goes back to the brain in the front. That's where my logic is. That's where my short-term memory is. That's where my executive function is. So all of my work is essentially, how do I get the blood back to behind my forehead? So when I'm working with the panic attack, so the first thing is with the panic attack is that I have to have them understand, A, that they have control over it. And when people, people who have them are afraid of the, they have fear of the fear. Mm. And what they don't know is that they can stop it. So usually they'll, what I've had clients describe me, they'll get a sensation and they'll go, oh, I'm panicking. Oh no, this is the beginning of my panic attack. <gasps> when my chest felt tight and then they start looking for the next symptom and the spiral starts to go down, the dominoes start to fall and they start to pay attention to, oh, is this a panic attack? Can I stop it? Oh no. And then they're helpless in stopping it. So what I teach them is if I use my, now that my brain is basically already shot, I use my body to get my brain back online. And so with them, I usually taught them a protocol ahead of time. And I have basically one go to point and I have a phrase. And actually, if I would go to what I was dealing with, with the Donnie Robbins training recently, a date with destiny, he says, there are three things you focus on your languaging, your physiology, and, um, and, and your focus. And so he describes what I basically have people do. I had them tap on the side of their hands. So if they're driving and they start to panic, which is what a lot of my clients have had, they bang the side of their hand, the steering wheel, and they just shouting, I am okay, I'll be okay, I am okay, I'll be okay, I am okay, I'll be okay. I'm changing their languaging, I'm changing their physiology, and I'm changing their focus. Yes. And now they start paying attention to the sensation that they're having, and the next domino doesn't fall, and it's over. Wow. So they can stop the spiral in a second. It's, it's and when they know, changing, yeah, changing, stop. changing your, your focus and your physio physiology and your, what was the third thing? And your languaging and your languaging Language. yeah, because it's, it, I yes. like that. Like you, you're, cause you feel a different sensation and your thoughts, you're telling yes. yourself what to think. And I like that. Yes. Yeah. Okay. All right. So that yes. can be used in a lot of different yeah. areas. Oh, yes. I, I work with it with, you know, I, with golfers who have, you know, whatever, anybody it's like right beforehand, as long as, so usually I'll, I'll 
I'll do sessions with people where we'll do different ways of using the body to change the brain. I use a ton of them. I use brain gym. I use EMDR. I use neuro-linguistic programming. I use, you know, Ayurvedic. I use traditional Chinese medicine. I use, you know, contralateral. I mean, whatever I can do to use the body to get to the subconscious. That's how I get in the subconscious is I use the body. Wow. And once I'm in the subconscious, how do I negotiate with the subconscious? And then how do I train them is, is that when they want to go to a panic response, because they think it's smart to go to a panic response, the logic and the subconscious is brilliant. Actually, it just doesn't often meet our goals <laughs> that are conscious is, right. is that I need to negotiate with my subconscious. And the way I get to them is through the body. So once I've worked with people, I'll have them, for example, this is more classic uh, emotional freedom techniques, tapping on the side of the hand. I tap on one acupuncture meridian. I use my languaging. The languaging that I use is a very specific, I am okay, is identity. So what my safety committee or what I call the subconscious mind, I call the safety committee, they want to know that, that I'm safe. And they want to know that, that I'm kind of maintaining my identity. So when I say I am okay, that's my identity and I'll be okay. That's my safety in the future. And it sounds like a very simple statement, but it actually tells my safety committee, my subconscious mind that I'm going to be okay. Because a lot of the fear around the panic is other people will see me and then they'll judge me. Mm. so there's not just a sensation the panic there's like oh no everyone's going to see me at the meeting panicking and now I'm going to lose my status in my tribe mm. so I have to understand what's my safety committee what's my subconscious afraid of I have people that I need to keep you know having this image of me who's in my tribe what's my identity of myself and how do I regulate that a simple phrase I am okay I'll be okay I can go in front of a group now. I can, you know, drive my car now. I can stop this panic attack by using my body, my languaging, shifting my focus. Wow. And then telling my safety committee what I want them to know. I'm okay. I'll be okay. Yeah. They're like, oh, okay. And they okay, go well, that's not, Yeah, that's not where we were, we were thinking we were going, but okay, we'll, we'll you know, that's good. Right. Again, you're telling, it's language. Yeah. It's, it's controlling your, your thoughts. And you're saying you're doing that through the body. Um, so that's, that's is, right. Is there something that someone could do today? I mean, I don't know. Could they use that same thing to help them if they're struggling yes. with anxiety or fear? I mean, because right now, if you watch the news or you are in, I think, alive, maybe <laughs> yes. you're struggling. With yes, yes. Or something because there's something new every single day. Yes. It's like something new to be afraid of. Is there something that people can do right now today to help their, their struggle with anxiety or fear? Yes, there is. I, and I'll, and you know, part of it is, is that it could be just that simple technique for interrupting the panic attack. But a lot of the work that I do is changing core beliefs and the core belief that I have found right now in this world is a little, um, it's not what I used to work with, with my athletes, but right now, the core belief that I'm working off of is the question that Einstein asked, is this a friendly universe or not? Hmm. And when I can work with my clients and actually get them to see the world through the belief that this is a friendly universe and that what is actually happening right now 
is therefore, if it's a friendly universe or a friendly God, depending on your languaging, then what's happening is not out of control. And it's actually happening for us, not to us. This is some of Tony Robbins as well. What's happening like for that. us, not yes. to us. So here's the, here's the four beliefs. A, it's a friendly universe. Therefore, it's happening for us personally and well as the globe, not to us. What is happening, we can handle. I can actually handle this. And no matter what I'm feeling, I actually realize I can change how I feel. Wow. That's so powerful. a lot of people that I've been working with, it's, it's, yeah, if you actually get those installed as core beliefs into your body, it changes everything. You can watch all the, I watched the news with such excitement going like, wow, this is forcing human evolution at a speed we never knew would be possible. Wow. Why, can, why do I see the news that way? Because I see it through. It's a friendly universe. It's happening for us. COVID happened for us, not to us. This is one of the most important steps of human evolution we will ever see. We're being forced to our, our understanding. The, the, the chain broke at the weakest link. We have to deal with this as a human global scale now. I'm so excited. Why? Because it's a friendly universe. It's happening for us, not to us. Am I living in delusion and wishful thinking? Yes, one can say that perhaps, but I prefer the way I see the world. Yeah. And that's where my anxiety disappears. Well, and, and there's this question, and I, I, I ask this a lot, you know, to my, on my podcast, I even talk about this, is that what's your option, right? So I, I believe... Yeah. And Thank you. when you say these four things, which I'm going to repeat them because I think they're worth repeating a million times, is that yes. this yes. is a friendly universe. What's yes. happening is happening for me, not to me, for us, yes. not to us. Correct. I can yes. handle yes. it. And yes, no matter what, I can change how I feel or how I think about what's going on. I have goosebumps. Correct. Because yes. every single one of those statements is uh, yeah. empowering. The, yes, they are. And the changing how you feel, that's a lot of the work that I do with things like tapping or emotional freedom techniques, which there's tons of work out there, is, is it because people, for example, are so afraid of the feeling of guilt. I'm going to have to do this. And if I don't, and then, oh, I'm going to feel guilty the rest of my life. And, and I tell you right now, I'm working on what I call the phobia to joy. It's like people are so afraid of having joy and then they're afraid of having guilt. And, and there's like, am I, and it comes what we call permanent and pervasive. It's like my fear of having guilt right now. What if I got COVID and I pass it on to my dad and he died? I will live in guilt the rest of my life and it will spread out to the rest of my existence. We are so afraid of that. And we don't know we can actually change guilt. We don't know we can actually stop, you know, the emotions and the feelings that we have. And when you know, A, you can handle it, and B, you can change how you feel, people can die. And, you know, like I said, I was widowed recently. It's like, I know what it's like to have grief. I know what it's like. And I, you, you know what, though? I use all four of those to maintain my sanity. It's a friendly universe. It's happened for me, not to me. I'm not a victim of this feels like crap, but you know what? I'm not a victim in this. This, I, there is a bigger path and purpose in here. I am loved and loved, you know, and it's like, okay, so 
how do I how do I take circumstances that I'm not too excited to be in, honestly, and and transform them so that I get to grow and change and actually contribute what I've learned to other people. Like now I'm still, I see that. How do I change when I have grief? I let it be there and then it transforms or it goes, or, you know, I, I, I'm not trapped in grief the rest of my life. So that kind of, to answer your question in terms of anxiety, what's the best technique? Understanding those four things and saying them over and over and over. I have them down and I have to go through them a lot, but they maintain yeah. my sanity. That's beautiful. And you know, you, you were talking about something that I, if I've heard it once, I've heard it a hundred times. And that's, if I get it and give it to my parents, I would never get yes. over it, you know, and yes. just that language alone, I would never get over it. Like you're yes. putting a death sentence on yourself yes. that, and, and this is, that's you know, right. I've, I've had experiences with families where one person got it and gave it to everyone and the guilt. And, you know, and I, I've said to, I've said to them, I'm like, did you intentionally get COVID? Did you know you had COVID and yeah. you're hanging out with people? Yeah. Anyway? No, you did nothing. Wrong. Yeah. You did nothing wrong. And, and that is, I think the key to this is that people in the media are trying to make people feel so fearful and feel guilty and you know unfortunately some people will go right along with that um but there's nothing intentional nobody's intentionally doing anything like that and i think that that's part of it you know too is that we have to get that get back to realizing that what you're saying is accurate just have a mantra, these four things, which I think in every single person yes. can benefit from, you know, is yes. what, what am I, I always look at things and I, I think about this a lot. I look at, and I'm like, what is it? What's working out? What is working out? There's something, there's a reason why this yes. is happening. Why is this happening? Uh, I'll give you an example yes. just recently with our renovation. Um, it was kind of a big deal. We were going to have to change a window size in one of our guest bedrooms to have what we wanted downstairs. And I wasn't happy about that, but I was like, okay, it's fine. So it, it just worked out where we bought, we bought the new window that was going to be a little shorter and long story short, we're not having to change the window out and the window, it worked out where it's perfectly going to fit beautifully in our new um, laundry room so it's and I told my husband I was like that's we weren't going to have a new window in our laundry room and now we are because that's exactly the universe <laughs> always working out in our favor and he just laughed he goes you know yes. what you're absolutely right it's a friendly universe yes, exactly. Monica <laughs> it's a friend and when you get that you get a really magical life you know yes and because and then you search to validate your belief yeah Yes. Okay. So then this is a question I, I wanted, I wanted to talk to you about because I think, I don't know that anybody doesn't fall prey to this. And that is the anxiety in the middle of the night. <laughs> I mean, you know, when yes. you wake up in the middle of the night and it seems like your brain just goes, Hey, here's what I want you to think about. And it isn't good. And it is it's worse than you've ever experienced. And this, this could happen and this could happen. And then you just go down this rabbit hole. So how, do you, how do you deal with that? Why do we even do that? Well, I think that 
because we're usually distracted or numbed out, we're not paying attention. So the only time they're going to get our attention is the middle of the night when we have nothing else to do. Oh boy. <laughs> so, so, so there, so it depends on why we wake up when people wake up, let's say with a nightmare or something. So I'm just going to start with the nightmare. There's what I call the dream committee in our brains. And they want us to get something. And I see like a nightmare as an opportunity to have, um, a fear show up in our bodies and actually in our fields. And when they're there, and then we apply some of the techniques, like let's say tapping or like the protocol that I work with, I can now, this is like what I said earlier with phobias. If I'm able to relax myself while I'm in the face of my fear, it flips it. So the nightmare is a, basically a fear that's now very present in my field. My heart is racing, blood pressure is up, that fear is there and I go, wow, here's my opportunity, like nab it, nab it, get it now, tap it out. Even though I have this fear, even though this showed up, I am okay, I'll be okay, you know? And I go into my panic attack, Tech, I'm tapping on the side of my hand and I'm saying, I am okay. Even though I have this fear, I am okay, I'll be okay. Even though my heart is pounding about this, I am okay, I'll be okay. You know, and that way it's literally exposure therapy. A nightmare is exposure therapy. So we have the opportunity to get it out of our system like that. Wow. So I see nightmares very differently than people do because the dream committee is trying to help us heal. Got so it. that's one thing that we people up with. Um, another is, is that in the middle of the night, again, if we're busy and distracted or whatever, they want us to pay attention to these and they want us to have this. They want us to see what the fears are. And this becomes a chance to go, oh, I did not know I had this fear. I didn't know this was actually really probably draining energy for me exponentially because it's been sort of in the background. Here's my opportunity again. I wake up in the middle of the night going like, oh my gosh, should I have put money in Bitcoin? Am I too late? Well, you know, whatever. This is crap that goes through my head, you know? And it's kind of like, I should have bought Tesla when, you know? So, <laughs> so <laughs> these, we all have our different problems. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and um, uh, you know, and then I'll go, okay, Monica, wow, this anxiety is here. What belief do I need to believe? Because this is running in the back of my head all day. It's wasting my energy, but I don't know it's here. In the middle of the night, I finally get to hear it. Thank wow. you, Dream Committee, or thank you, body, for waking me up to have me hear this fear. And what is that fear based off of? Oh, there's not enough. My body won't handle it. I might die you know, is that symptom, this is, you know, whatever, is this cancer, is my whatever, you know, all these different things pop up and then I get to look at them and I go, okay, what would I like to believe? Sometimes a friendly universe is enough. I say, you know what, if I look at the evidence, I've never not had enough. I have always had actually a magical life. And even though I'm worried that, you know, my, my stocks might drop or my investments might go or whatever, Huh, you know, I've always been okay. And if push came to shove, I could actually get an RV and live in an RV, which I did for five months and I freaking loved it. So, okay, you know what? Let me now tap that in. I'm tapping on the side of my hand. Even though I'm afraid I'm gonna lose my house because my investments drop, blah, blah. You know what? I've always had a magical life. Things have always worked out for me. Wow. Okay, back to sleep. And then I use my body I, I calm myself using my body. If, you, if you're sleeping beside somebody, 
there are moves that you can do. Sometimes I'll hold the back of my skull and the forehead. And like, I'm literally just holding those points and just talking between my prefrontal cortex, my logical mind and the fear mind in the back. And I just want them to talk and go, guys, thank you for bringing this fear to my mind. And I'm going to like have a conversation, going to have respect. Thank you for warning me about this symptom that I'm feeling in my body right now. And you know what? I'll take care of it. And can I negotiate with you guys that you guys like back off and not wake me up because I need my sleep? <laughs> take my breath. Oh, thank you. And then I can go, you know, so those are some of the techniques that I use in the middle of the night. I, I, I love <laughs> that so much. And I'm going to tell you what I love about it. Okay. So for starters, um, thank you for making me aware of this fear. I like that because yeah. if I really yeah. think about my, my nightmares that I've had, I don't have them a lot, but sometimes I take, I, I've accidentally taken too much magnesium and I have nightmares. And so, um, I got it. I, I, I'm I, thinking about it now. I'm like, what were they? And yeah, I, I can assume that that probably is a fear that I have. And I didn't, I'm not really consciously aware of it. Of, you know, it's so I like that. Thank you for making me aware of it. And what do I need to believe to make it better? And yes, and that's so, yes. so good, you know, because you're, you're basically helping yes. yourself out of it, you know, and I, you could yes. use that with anything. You can use that with anything because it's it's just a fear. It's not reality. Just because you think it yes. doesn't mean it's real. And just because you dream it doesn't mean it's well, real. That's right. To be yeah, a real fear. It's but... very interesting. Oh, yes, absolutely. And real fears, they're valid. So yes. what, here's what I know about phobias and about fears. Virtually every phobia I work with is the fear of death. Mm. Mm -hmm. Why am I afraid of a bee? It'll sting me. I'll get an infection, an anaphylactic shock, and I'll die. Why am I afraid of an airplane? It'll follow the sky and I'll die. Why am I afraid of the bridge? It'll collapse my mind and I'll die. So no one wants to talk about the fear of death, mm. but here's what I know having died already is, is that when people die, this is, these are usually the more full-blown near-death experiences, and they get to the other side, there is somebody there saying, it's not your time. You have to go back. Mm -hmm. So what that tells me is, is that there is a time. Mm -hmm. okay. And when you get that, you live your life knowing that there is a time. I remember working with a woman who was afraid to go out clubbing after those bombs that had been blown up in different clubs. Okay. Like, could I go to a concert or a football game? Like People might bomb this. And I said, here's the deal. The way our souls seem to be rigged. And this is again, something like a near-death experience. When it's your time, it's your time. I would rather be blown up in a freaking club than get hit by a bus in the front of my house. Wow. Like live it. And if, so, when it's your that, time to go, it's your time to go. Absolutely. And that is why I think that this with COVID, you know, people, <laughs> I know there are yes. people, my husband and I still travel. We still go out as much as we can. We go out to restaurants. Mm -hmm. We want to still live. And I've said it a hundred thousand yes. times. If, if that's what takes me, then that's what was meant to happen. And I don't think it will because I'm healthy and exactly. I vitamin D. <laughs> but yeah. I do think that yeah, yeah. there's a lot to that. Like you just have to live your life and don't be afraid because we're all going to die eventually. Yes, we are. Yes. And I'd rather be dead. I'd rather die living 
my sister was going to fly to, um, uh, this was a while back, uh, with the flying doctors to do some book deliveries to the Baja. And uh, she's given away over quarter million children's books. And this is a big drive of hers. And she goes like, Monica, should I go? And I'm like, Celeste, if you go down in a little plane over Baja, giving books to children, what a great way to go. What a great As way As opposed to, to, you know, whatever. And yeah, and if it's your time, it's your time. Like go out in a blaze of glory. And so you want to be wise about your life and take your vitamin D and, you know, whatever. But in the meantime, when I look at fears and phobias, they usually are about when we get down to them, they're about the fear of death. They're the, the fear of the death of loved ones or, or of our own death or whatever. This is yeah. where a lot of waking up in the middle of the night I have. And even if I go to, you know, I'm going to take care of myself. I'll look at these symptoms. I'll do some research. And if I'm supposed to go, I'm going to go. Yeah. And if I'm not, I'm still here. So if I'm still here, then I have work to do, you know, and it's like, and then I can, you know, right. It, it I, just, it takes the anxiety out. of it. it does. It does. And, you know, I love that. And I'm so glad that we talked about that because I do think it's a conversation that needs to be had. Um, so there was one other question and I know we are, um, we're going long because you're, you're just so interesting, but phobias uh -oh. are a very interesting topic. Um, I watched an interview and you kind of touched on this just a few minutes ago where you talked about you were helping an athlete get past a belief that stemmed from something that happened as a child. So do, do we, I mean, talk a little bit about that because you did talk about like the frontal, you know, the frontal part of the mm -hmm. brain communicating with the back part of the brain. Yes. A lot of times, yep. tell, tell a little bit about that. So the way I, the way I, work with people is, is that I work with this imagery of what I call the safety committee. I found that most people trying to do limiting belief work or how to change your subconscious or whatever. They use very abstract things, which I'm very literal and I'm very visual. So I invented this premise of the safety committee, which is a bunch of guys who sit around in a submarine and between the ages of zero to seven, when my prefrontal cortex is not online, it has not had the myelin sheathing there. And I'm living in almost like a theta state where that's like recording all, all the time. Santa's real, Easter Bunny's real. There's no filters of what's real and not real. And we are constantly at that point downloading beliefs that run our lives. Beliefs are essentially shortcuts for how to do things. And we are downloading beliefs, what makes our parents happy, what makes our siblings safe, whatever. And they're all basically, a lot of them are, how do I get approval so that I maintain my status in the tribe? Like if I upset my parents and they throw me out, I'm dead. That's the thing about being babies as humans is that we have a very, very long process before we're self-sufficient. So we have to basically pay attention constantly to the tribe rules family, community, teachers, whatever, to know how we're supposed to behave. After about seven, our prefrontal cortex starts getting more myelin sheathing. For males, that doesn't end until like 22. So it's like, it's a long process to understand, you know, for our brains to sort of like lock and load what's smart, what's not smart, what's wise, what's not wise, et cetera. So where most of my work goes is, what are the rules that your safety committee, which I'll call beliefs, downloaded between ages zero to seven that are getting in the way of what your conscious goals are? 
So I have a conscious goal. I had students, I trained thousands of massage students and they'd come in and they'd go, oh my God, I can't pass this test, blah, blah, blah. When I, when I would work with them then, well, what's the price you're gonna pay for passing this test? Well, in my tribe, no one's gone to school, no one's got a certificate, no one's been a massage therapist and all my friends are laughing at me and leaning me. So passing this test means I give up my whole community. It's not worth it. Mm. So now I have to work with them. That was before I created these constructs, but that's where I saw it. What's the price I'm gonna pay to pass this test? What's the price I'm gonna pay in my tribe? So with this particular athlete, he was a golfer and his hands would shake um, when he would got on short putts, not on long putts, which means his hands work. So on the short putt, his hands would jerk and then he would miss. And so I could do you know, traditional sort of phobia work, but I wanted to kind of get why. What part of the brain says that putting the ball in the hole is gonna be lethal essentially? Mm -hmm. And where he came up with was when he was about seven, eight, he had a golf coach who was basically a real jackass and his little mind made up the belief because we're just in this kind of like download belief, everything's true, no filter state that if I become a successful golfer, I'm going to be a jackass. Mm. Well, he's a good Catholic boy and his community rules, his family rules, his tribe rules says you got to be a good Catholic boy. But now he's got this hookup that is logical to his subconscious, not logical or even known to his conscious mind, that to be a professional great golfer, he's going to become a jackass. Be a jerk, yeah. Later on, as a, yeah, as as a as a young golfer, he had a friend who became very successful, and the fame went to his head. He ended up ruining his marriage. He ended up losing his home, access to his children, like everything that mattered to him, he mm -hmm. lost. So Just now he has success him. equals, yes. So now I, I'm going to be a jackass and I'm going to lose everything that matters to me. So okay. now I get up to these short putts. And also because there's this identity that he has is, is that you're not supposed to miss the short putts. You're a great golfer. So now there's this pressure of what the tribe or people around him will think. Now his identity is on the line. And now the brain goes, you know what? Wow. Putting the ball in the hole means I become a jackass and ruin my identity and I lose everything that matters to me and I risk everybody's approval. Oh, the hands are jerking. It's like, no, ball in the hole. No, get the, don't miss the ball. <laughs> so when we got, you know, do you see? I do see. I see the problem. Yeah. Wow. Yes. Yeah, so, so a lot of what my work is, is trying to understand what is your safety committee believe between ages of zero to seven that, that are in the way of your goals. Wow. And if you change those or fix those or whatever, there's a price to pay. So then what and somebody, then is that price real? Right. What, what was, would be helpful is somebody could kind of look at their family rules and say, what yes. were things that my family instilled in me that could yes. be a problem for me right now? Yes. Yes. So I had this goal of happiness and joy, except that I grew up in the family where mom was chronically depressed. And anytime I was expressive and joyful or loud, she was upset at me. Now I have to repress that joy. And now when I'm older, I go, I want to have joy. The safety committee is like, no, if you have joy, mommy's mad, you know, and mommy throws you out and you die. And it's like, no, but I want to have joy too bad. We're in charge. And the safety committee is in charge of everything. Wow. So not to negotiate. 
safety committee. I want to have joy. They're like, oh, that's really dumb. Girl, no, no joy, no expressive, no loudness, no making something. It's like, mommy will throw you out and you'll die. Mm. It's like, okay, I'm an adult now. And this is where the negotiation comes along with my safety committee. Now I negotiate. I don't know if you guys know this, but I grew up. They're like, really? When did that happen? You know, <laughs> and how do I get there? I'm using my body, you know? And I have to say, it's like, I'm not fine. If I make noise and I'm joyful, mommy won't throw me out and I won't die. Right. So, wow. so people, people go like, wow, get over these fears, get over these things, get over this. It's like, no, it's lethal. It's lethal wow. to our subconscious mind to get up on stage and be seen. I do a seminar called confident in the spotlight. And it's like, people are just like, it's lethal to be seen. Wow. And people go, oh, just get over it. We'll do some practice on. No, it's not like that. Mm -mm. No. Well, I that, have to understand what's the risk. It's, this is all just so fascinating to me. And I, <laughs> I am excited to see how all of this works out. Um, how do people find you if they like to talk to you, work with you, if they have a phobia or whatever? How do they find you um, and talk to you? They can go to, um, Monica, they can write me. They can email me at Monica at phobiahacker.com. Monica at phobiahacker.com. I like that. Phobiahacker.com. Yeah. Okay, great. Yes. And um, that's awesome. I think, you know, that's so necessary, especially right now, just like we were talking about with COVID, people need to know that they're okay. And having someone like yeah. you help them and confirm, you know, just kind of work through some of those things. It's so crucial. Sometimes you just need to talk to someone that kind of knows what they're doing, you know, and um, I that it's fascinating talking to you today. And I'm, I'm thank you so much for coming on and sharing all of your wealth of knowledge about all of these things, because they do make a lot of sense. And our brains are crazy things, but they're beautiful and create and can create really, really good things for us if we let them. They just, they want us to, parts want us to survive and parts want us to thrive and parts want us to evolve and grow and reach our path and purpose and have lives of meaning. Like how we get those aligned. That's a lot of what my work is. How yeah. do I get alignment between my path and purpose and that why I'm here and this body that I'm in and these fears I have, like, how do I, how do I make sense of this? I love it. That's it's beautiful. fun work. Yeah. Well, thank, thank you for yeah. sharing it with us. We, I, I'm so appreciative. Absolutely. And I've thoroughly enjoyed this conversation. It's, it's eye-opening. So I appreciate it. Thank you so much, Heidi, for inviting me onto your podcast and to get to meet you and your listeners. I hope that I was able to give some, some thought and some direction on how to deal with these hard times. Absolutely. I think everyone can take away something from this because we all have them. So go to Monica at phobiahacker.com if you'd like to talk to Monica. Thanks, Monica. Bye-bye. Thank you so much, Heidi. Bye. Don't forget to subscribe and share with your friends because we're just going to keep going bigger and better places together. And I love that about us. Talk to you in a few days.